0: Welcome to the ID Podcast, featuring the stories of medicine and the people behind them. My name is Mike. And my name is Naman.
1: On this episode of the ID Podcast, we have episode three in our segment known as the ID Spotlight, where today we're featuring Andrew McLean, a classmate of ours and someone I'd like to call a friend who takes us through his background and his decision to leave a career in kind of healthcare finance and honestly, I can't even list all the different jobs he's had and what it's been for him transitioning back to medical school and kind of hitting a reset on his
0: life. What really inspired us to interview him was the master classes he actually ran for our class on how physicians actually get paid, something that is important for us to know, but isn't really taught in the formal curriculum. Besides that, he's also had lots of interesting life experiences. For example, he's grown up in a town of 400 people. He's lived in 22 different cities, and all of these life experiences give him a unique perspective entering medicine.
1: With that, we're going to send it back to myself and Kathy in the virtual studio with Andrew McLean. Enjoy, everyone. Hey, Andrew, how's it going? How are you doing today?
2: I'm doing really well, Levin. Yeah, how are you?
1: Doing okay. What is this? Quarantine day, like month three, month four? How have you been adjusting to life at home?
2: Day 9001, I think, is how it feels like. The year that we'll never, we'll never forget, 2020. Um, I've been doing really well at home. Yeah, I'm happy to be when the quarantine started. I left the province pretty quickly and headed back to my home provinces. Uh, and it turned out to be a good move because things haven't really turned back on uh, yet, at least in uh, Southern Ontario.
3: Mm-hmm. No, a thousand percent. And how is it like, you know, being back with family now?
2: Uh, it's about as good as I could hope for, to be honest. It's um, I, I knew consciously when I left uh, my home of the East Coast and decided intentionally to go to McMaster University for a few years that it was going to be hard. Uh, And I remember looking at the calendar of my partner and thinking, when am I going to get home? Like, how am I going to get home? How frequently is this going to happen? So the opportunity for a four month um, time here so far has actually been really lovely in lots of ways, uh, especially while the world seems to be raging around us. Being in a great spot in my home with people I love has been really beneficial.
3: Oh, I'm so glad to hear that, Andrew, and that you're spending time with your loved ones. I'm really glad to hear that you guys are back together and have this time together. So, Andrew, your biography kind of reads like we would run out of paper because you've done so much and you've been um, to so many different places. And I think it's pretty common knowledge that you were at the London School of Economics for your master's, and then you did a bunch of stuff before coming to medical school. So for the few people that don't know, would you mind kind of giving us a rundown between your time at London and then how you came here to be at McMaster Medical School?
2: Yeah, so I did my graduate degree in the UK and then immediately one thinks about how much money they've spent while on a graduate degree in an international country and needs a job right away. And in fact, one of the reasons why I went to the UK to begin with was because I had a baby, I had a newborn, and all the more reason to try to get employment as fast as you possibly can. So I ended up back in Toronto, uh, in Canada, which is great. I had a couple of opportunities in Europe that we turned down to try to be closer to family. And then spent several years in Toronto doing a few different things and worked for all kinds of different people, partly as a consultant uh, and also as a staff person. And that was a really interesting time because I got to work for a lot of the organizations that make up the healthcare system in Ontario, and, and some of them still do. In a lot of different ways. So I got to work for a hospital, I worked for a a faculty of medicine, I worked for capital planning, I worked in Cancer Care Ontario and in information technology and all kinds of different spaces. So it was really formative in terms of understanding how the health system works um, and how people work and how life works because when you're 22 and you're working full-time you learn a lot about what corporate environments are like and team culture and so on. And then I decided to move back to the east coast where I'm originally from In 2012, and ended up in New Brunswick and worked there for a number of years, again in a whole bunch of different files. That was sort of a different opportunity because I went from a really big province of Ontario, I think you're almost at 14 million now, to a pretty small province of New Brunswick, 749,000. And so the opportunities there were less about getting really specialized in like a, a tiny niche area and more about doing things really broadly. So in that space, I was kind of the part of a really small team instead of being part of really big teams, doing all kinds of things. So communications and marketing and uh, health policy development for the equivalent of the Ontario Medical Association in Ontario. So it's called the New Brunswick Medical Society. And I uh, worked there for a number of years with government, with many different uh, not-for-profit organizations and health professionals. And in the midst of what was undoubtedly like a pretty growing career, decided to hit reset and go to medical school. And really, only figured out that I wanted to do that when I was probably 30. Had never applied before, had never actually really, um, like, hadn't hadn't written the MCAT, hadn't done all those things. Um, And uh, it just made sense in my life in terms of timing where things were at. And uh, ended up getting into McMaster and a couple of other schools and was really blessed to do so. And now here I am learning about brain and behavior and why the kidney is the most confusing organ in the body and uh, what memes are from my classmates. So lessons all around.
1: Yeah, I feel like we're getting a medical degree and a meme degree all at once sometimes. I do definitely want to discuss your decision to like hit the reset button and jump into medicine being on like the healthcare side of things. But I do want to like before we divulge back from your background, is there one experience that you've had that really stands out that maybe that you showed a lot of growth or just is really memorable one that you look fondly upon?
2: It would be hard to come up with a better story than actually none of the things I've talked about. (laughs) To be honest, it was just my upbringing. So I grew up in a village of 400 people. We had one stop sign and one slow down light. And in those kinds of situations, like the opportunity for community service is near and dear to everybody's heart. Everybody pitches in and does something. And so my parents did that in a number of ways. My brother did that in a number of ways. I tried to contribute um, being active in the church, being active in the volunteer fire department being active in, in school and, and so on. So I guess that was probably the seed of it um, in terms of growing into looking for another way in which to help other folks and help the community and, and be part of the institutions and leadership roles in, in a small town. And that has kind of stuck with me for my whole life.
3: That's incredible. And Andrew, what is your hometown? Is it the, is it the city that you shared with us uh, before we started recording? <laughs>
2: So my hometown, my home village, is a place (laughs) called Lawrence Town. There are two Lawrence Towns in Nova Scotia. One is beautiful and has a beach and is full of surfers, and it is not that one. Uh, The Lawrence Town that I'm from is a small farming community that's about halfway between Digby, which some people have heard of because it's um, famous for scallops and a ferry, and Halifax, which most people have probably heard of. So Mm -hmm. really small very picturesque wonderful place to grow up uh, I left when I was 17 so it was a it was also a great place to go and expand and and spread your wings sort of thing but it was a great place to grow up
3: wow and you know andrew i think your sort of small village experiences and that community service has definitely shown and is very evident in the work that you do within our program like i had no clue about what finances were in relation to medicine so that has definitely stuck with you and it, it's very very clear
2: well thank you it's been a lot of fun to to try to help it's one of those things like if you've got a skill or you've got a, a an ability to help other people then you go with what you get and you and you are as likely to learn from other people as you are to teach. So I'm uh, benefiting from everybody else helping me with lots of things too.
3: Oh, humble Harry over there.
2: Yeah, for uh, for our listeners that don't
1: know, actually, Andrew has ran two master classes where he's explained in the most layman's terms possible how physicians actually make money, uh, which is a topic that I think many people don't really know when they get into this career and maybe don't know coming out of medicine. So he's done that out of the kindness of his heart, which maybe explains his roots. I get a bit more of a backstory there. I personally benefited a lot. So like just building off of that, Andrew, you've had a lot of experience even before medical school, interacting with physicians from a whole spectrum of specialties. Um, like having had those experiences, well, like what type of perspective does that give you about these different specialties? And has it helped you pick what type of doctor you'd want to become later on?
2: Yeah, I think when you work, you know, like broadly, when I, when you spend about 10 years working, uh, I would say daily with doctors as a non-doctor specifically, like the one carrying theme throughout my career has been trying to fix parts of the healthcare system that are broken and looking around, there's no shortage of parts of the healthcare system that are broken and physicians have lots of opinions. The old rule, right? Like two specialists, three opinions on what to do with all of those problems. I think you're able to gain an appreciation of the non-clinical parts of medicine. And um, so I think I knew as much about being a doctor, like what it's like to be a doctor, as I possibly could have, having never examined a patient or, you know, closed the door and had somebody tell me a deep, dark personal secret about their health or their fears, their worries. Um. So I, I think I knew about some of the challenges they had. And when I looked around the the challenge that seemed the most evident to me and the one in which I felt like I could make the most impact was the way in which family doctors are organized um, and how they work and, and don't work um, and the methods through which they work. So, for example, using the phone, using the computer instead of doing things in person and so on. So I had probably decided before I get in that family medicine was going to be the specialty that I was most interested in for partly that reason, also because I really enjoy the opportunity to get to know people over time. And so that I've been happy that I haven't found anything during my medical training so far that has turned me off of family medicine.
3: That's really great to hear. And I think that kind of goes back to what you were saying earlier in terms of wanting to serve your community um, in the in the most meaningful way possible. And I really commend you because I think we need more physicians like you who really understand what the needs are firsthand and who are most well positioned to, to serve in that capacity. And so. Andrew, I think that, like, a lot of us are curious, why Why did you feel it was the right moment to press reset when you did feel that way and pursue medicine? Was it one moment? Was it a culmination of a lot of different things? Like, walk us through your decision to pursue medicine.
2: Yeah, I, I'm now McMaster's Methuselah. Uh, I'm the oldest student, I think, that we have, which I don't know if that's a good thing or a bad thing, but it just is. I think Um, So there's a lot to think about. And I think those are the things that keep a lot of people from hitting the reset button. And so, for example, when I I mean, for me, it was always a bit tricky because when you have a child when you're 21, you are maybe dealing with more meaningful life choices than a lot of 21 year olds are, about what their future will hold because you've got other things to think about. Um, For me at that time in my life, I guess I was like 29, 30 or so when I started thinking seriously about it. It made sense for a lot of personal reasons. So my kids were a little bit older than they were, obviously, when I was, you know, it's a little bit easier to tell a five-year-old that you're going to be away for a few weeks than it is to try to tell a two-year-old that you're going to be away for a few weeks. Like, those are, those are actually big differences. So personally, it made sense. Um, career-wise, it, it actually didn't make a lot of sense. Like, I was doing pretty well, to be honest, and was on a good path. I think the thing that I struggle with was when you get your first full-time job really early on, you do that for 10 years. You start thinking, okay, well, if I'm going to do this until I retire in in a number of different jobs and capacities, but if I work this way, uh, which was probably 60 hours a week with a fair amount of travel, a lot of wonderful opportunities, but a lot of hard work, I got to do that for another 30 years. So I got to be really happy doing what I'm doing. Am I going to do this for three times as long as I've already done it? Does this give me the opportunities that I want life-wise? And both of those answers sort of ended up being that I had the capacity To study. And for me, the hardest part, the part that held me back from really applying sooner or thinking about it was actually envisioning doing the MCAT. And so, just like to give you an idea of what that's like, I know a lot of people have written the MCAT. That's really hard and and tricky stuff. And I know that some schools, in fact, don't require the MCAT and tend to get more applications as a result. For me, I wanted to do it because I thought it would at least be an educational opportunity to learn more about science. If I did get in, I didn't want to be that person who had to learn what a cell was. I wasn't going to be a lot ahead of that person, but I still didn't want to have no background in it. So for me at the time, I was running a startup program. I was uh, working 60 hours a week. I was driving all over the province, um, raising uh, two of my own girls uh, who live with their mother primarily and a stepson and uh, taking textbooks with me to hotel rooms. I would finish up at 10 p.m. at night. I would go study for three or four hours. I'd go to bed. I'd wake up at six and do it all over again for a year because I didn't have a science undergrad. I didn't, I, my last class was biology 11. So that was the part that was really tricky for me. And so that's the part that held me back. But once I did that and wrote the MCAT, I I did okay. And uh, away I went. So I guess the short answer to your question is there's lots of reasons that caused me to hit reset, Uh, but it just seemed to work out from a timing perspective. And I also knew that if I didn't do it soon, I never would because I'm getting, uh, I'm getting on, you know, the hairline is receding.
3: No, no, you're still a spring chicken, Andrew. Don't worry.
1: <laughs> that's amazing. I think uh, it's really inspiring to hear. I think everyone has their sort of barriers that they experience, whether it's a GPA or an MCAT, like something in their journey. And it, it just adds another layer when you're working full-time, have children. So it's really uh, inspiring to hear studying after like from 10 p.m. to 2 a.m. I think that's that says a lot about who you are and why you're such an inspiration to a lot of our classmates. Andrew, I wanted to ask, we're in medical school now. It's been like eight, nine months. Um, you talked about how you've seen what it's like to be a doctor from everything but seeing a patient. But is medical school what you expected? Like, did you really like think this is what it was going to be like? And if you could also comment on maybe a highlight and a low light of your experience so far.
2: Yeah, I think medical school is what I expected. Um, for me, I knew I would struggle a lot uh, in the first couple, the first year of the program at Mac, or the first couple of years in any traditional program. I knew I'd have a hard time just in terms of learning the basic sciences, trying to understand anatomy, do all the things that I'd really had the MCAT backing of, and that was all ahead. And so I knew that would be tricky. I think I'm going to probably enjoy clerkship a lot more than I have enjoyed pre-clerkship because I'll be out and actually doing things. I'm a, I used to throw hay bales uh, for a living when I was a kid, and I was part of 4-H, which is an organization that helps to train young farmers. And one of the things that 4-H instills in you is that you learn by doing. And I think a lot of people from my neck of the woods actually do learn by doing. So reading something is not necessarily as concrete in terms of the recall as actually going out and doing it. So I'm looking forward to clerkship for that reason. In terms of the highlight, I think it's the people. I think it's, for me, really worried about being, you know, from the East. I mean, I think think in the year in which I was looking at admission statistics, MAC had admitted about 10 people from outside of Ontario. So I knew I'd be at a bit of a disadvantage in that situation. I wasn't going home to mom's house in Scarborough on the weekends, right? I was going to be flying across the country. Um, I I sort of knew all those things. But I think the people that I've met, the classmates in particular, I find you learn as much from your classmates as you do your professors. And with the PBL program at Mac, that's absolutely how it happens. You do learn as much or more from your classmates than you do the teachers who teach you. Um, So I really enjoyed that. That's been a super highlight for me. I think the low light for me... I think it's interesting to work in organizations that struggle to engage physicians and and work with physicians. So I'll I'll give you a good example. One of the reasons I started working for the Ontario Medical Association is because whenever I worked in a healthcare organization, the problem in that organization was always the doctors. The problem was always that like the doctors wouldn't listen, they wouldn't show up to meetings, they wouldn't be team players. What is it with the doctors? And I thought, I really want to go work for those doctors because I got to understand what's going on over there. And in working for organizations related to physicians, you can understand how, in fact, doctors aren't great at meetings. They really don't do well when a meeting is scheduled from 10 a.m. to noon in the middle of a clinic workday. There's a very good reason why most doctors don't show up to that meeting. And when they are there, they don't like to, you know, one of my favorite quotes from a doctor was, meetings are places where minutes are taken and hours are wasted, right? Right um and most corporate environments are are pretty f- replete with meetings. So I guess for that it, it was really to to the low light for me was understanding that physicians aren't taught a lot of skills so far at least in my training and and I haven't seen any evidence that it's going to improve that are really common in healthcare environments and it puts them at a disadvantage at being part of decision making tables. Um so that's why I'm trying to do my small bit to Teach where I can um, and inform at least other students about how they can be at the decision-making table and a full partner in healthcare leadership.
3: That's incredible. And I think that the perspective that you bring is what is exactly needed in the medical education system as well. And I can say, even though I haven't had the privilege of being in your tutorial group, Andrew, um, I've taken away a lot from like hearing you speak and from your master classes. So I'm really glad that you're in our class. And sort of touching on what you had mentioned earlier around, like, I'm just still kind of amazed that, like, you would work 60 hours a week, you would be studying from 10 to 2, and then you'd wake up at 6, and you'd repeat that for a year. and so. I just am so curious around how did you form the habits that you did and what are some of those habits that have helped you succeed to get to where you are now in medical school? Because coming in with the MCAT background like that, that is absolutely remarkable.
2: Um, Yeah, it was a real, I mean, I don't want to underplay it. It was hard. It's like an exercise in endurance. I I put in the order for the books for the MCAT because I still read books on August 1st. And I wrote the MCAT, I think it was like August 8th or something, like the year later. So it was exactly a year. I think the skills that you gain are ones that you gain in all kinds of different careers. But one of the ones that I was really uh, into was time management. So I tend to wake up early, uh, more early than my med school roommates would necessarily appreciate. And I do tend to focus. So I don't have maybe as many distractions as others. Uh, In that when I just decide that I'm going to, when I decide that I'm going home to see the kids, I'm going to be in dad mode. I don't touch a book for three days and it doesn't bother me. And then when I am at school, I work incredibly hard during that time. I actually also have a part-time job right now. When I'm at work, I'm at work. I I don't Like think about anything else as, as best I can, unless there's something serious going on. So I think that's been a strategy that I've used for years now that has been pretty effective in being able to get the most productivity out of the time that I put in. I think the other thing that I have going for me is just that I have like a huge set of advantages. So I have a really secure, stable family who I love very much, who love me very much. And I get a lot of satisfaction and fun out of just hanging out with the kids and my partner. So that's maybe like an advantage that a lot of people don't have. A lot of people come from really difficult family situations or they come from less privileged environments or they come from places where um, money is a daily concern. Um, Maybe instead of a monthly concern. So those are problems that I um, don't have, and therefore don't have to have the brain space to think about those things. So I'm really grateful for those pieces, all the advantages that I have, which enables me to be effective with my time and be productive, because I don't have a lot of those concerns
1: yeah definitely. Speaking from my own experience, just having a family support system and like not worrying about those things so you can focus on like studying and education all these extracurriculars is definitely like a blessing for anyone. And I think that in your certain situation, I'm sure you didn't anticipate getting these extra four, five, six, seven months uh, at home with your family. I just wanted to chat a little bit about that again. I just I wanna understand what it's like. The decision to say press pause on your family essentially for three years, if not more, depending on where residency ends up. So, how was that conversation like? And what has been your experience moving back? Like, coronavirus has not been good to a lot of people, but in this certain case, I'd argue it's been beneficial for you and your family.
2: No? Yeah, I would say the same. Like. So in terms of the conversations that were had on the road to doing this, my partner and I met around the same time. So I have a blended family. So I live in um, Fredericton most of the time with my partner, Markel, and her son, Oscar. And then my two girls, um, Rowan and Stella, live with their mother in Halifax. So I'm, I'm doing some traveling no matter what, two different provinces. They are tiny provinces in the East coast, but they are still a few hours apart from each other in terms of the, being able to integrate that successfully. So, For me, the hardest part was actually negotiating the conversations with kids and uh, partner and family and so on. I actually kept the medical school dream uh, secret from literally everyone I knew, except a cousin who I was living with at the time, who watched me open my MCAT books every night, and my partner Markel. So I didn't tell my own parents, I didn't tell my family, I didn't tell people at work, I didn't tell anyone around me, because I wasn't sure if I was going to get in. And I also thought, I'm only going to apply twice. I'm going to apply this year and next year. And if I don't get in, Andrew, don't be silly. You got a good thing going, you know, keep your head down and go to work. And and it's kind of done well for you so far. So I actually made a conscious decision just to be quiet about it. And so the conversations I was having when I did get in were really around uh, my partner in terms of what does this look like? Does this look like a road for specialty and specialty and fellowships? And like, am I going to be in training for the next 15 years? Because by that point, I'll be nearly pensionable. Uh, which was not something that she was looking forward to. And then for the kids, it was actually really easy for them. It's been tough on them to have dad away, but to have that conversation was actually a lot easier than I thought it would be. My five-year-old thinks it's really interesting that I'm in doctor school. She busts out the Fisher-Price stethoscope and the blood pressure cuff. Really interested in cardiology, so I'm looking forward to maybe being able to retire early with a cardiologist's daughter. My 12-year-old, as 12-year-olds sometimes do, could care less when I brought up the conversation. She's more interested in talking about Starbucks and going to the mall. The four-year-old guy was the one I was most worried about because he was the one that was used to having me home the most. And he's dealt with it remarkably well. Kids are incredibly resilient. So I think it's been hardest on my partner and my kids. I think it's actually sort of envious for somebody to jet set off to Toronto and spend a few years you know, going back to school full-time. Sometimes I think a lot of people would love that lifestyle. And so it's really them that have to put up with the downsides of that. But it's something I think that will, will prove to be a good family decision in the long run. And there's no great time to do it. There's no good time to go back to school, buy a house or get sick. And so if that's the case, you've got to bite the bullet at some point.
3: That's it. We just got it. That's the only snippet that we need from this entire interview. You guys <laughs> thinking the same thing. Right? Oh, my gosh. this That's is the dad
2: advice. Look, I got no shortage of dad advice. Uh, And I try to keep it under wraps, but that's one of those things that you just got to, if you want to do it and you want to believe in it, then for sure you've got to work that out with your family to be able to do it. But if they're supportive, then get behind it and start pushing.
3: Yeah. And I think what really stands out to me too, is that like how how family centered you, you are, because I know some other people and such where like the priorities are just not there or that it's not a priority to communicate or to make these decisions sort of as a family. My heart is just so full because you always talk about your partner and your kids sort of at the center of your decision-making, and I, and I think that's really, really inspiring. And also, huge congratulations on your engagement.
2: Thank you. I'm really excited. Markel is the name of my partner, and she is in Fredericton, New Brunswick, has lived there for a few years. We're the same age, and we're uh, over the moon. We're thinking of getting married next year. Uh, we'll see what the pandemic looks like by then. The kids are very happy about it. Uh, that's always one of those things you have to think about, too, when you're kind of blending families. Oscar is four and Stella is five, and they have decided that we are all getting married. There's like kind of a mm. distinction that kids have. There's not so much like a, you know, mom and dad are getting married sort of thing. It's like, well, no, we're our families are, are getting married. So that's a nice concept that they bring to it. And it's very much the case. So, no, I'm, I'm over the moon.
3: Oh, that's incredible. And it's always tough funding families and such. Like, yeah, my family's kind of going through the same thing. And I am just so happy that your kids are so inclusive uh, and excited because that's really, really important. So, Andrew, we'd love to ask you one more question before we um, get into our rapid fire round, if you're up for it. For sure. Yeah. So you shared with us um, in preparation for this interview, and this surprised me when I read it, as I'm sure everyone else on the team uh, was, but you were taken out of your grade 12 math class because you were, quote, unquote, not smart enough. So, what piece of advice would you give to, to yourself back then, um, knowing what you do now?
2: Yeah, no, I wasn't smart. Our school did not have a lot of math classes. We were not one of those giants. So, I had, uh, I was in grade seven to 12 at Bridgetown Regional High School. There were 360 of us across those years. My graduating class, I think, was 61. There were 13 of us that went to any form of post secondary education. So, not a large place. And I got pulled, yeah, from, uh, from grade 12 advanced math. Or academic math, I can't remember what it was, but into like normal math, there was like a math below that that was like math foundations or something. But essentially, like I I wasn't I wasn't cut out for it, and it was a great decision. It was a good move. Love the math teacher. Uh, love my parents. Love everybody involved. Did not love math. Uh, went on to do a master's degree in economics. <laughs> funny enough, which is okay because you're just adding and subtracting letters. It's better. And and then went on to medical school. I think. I um I think it was the right decision for me at the time, just like I think it was the right decision not to apply to medical school uh, when I came out of undergrad, just like I've had all kinds of successes and failures in my life that probably came along at the right time. So I'm a really, I'm a very faithful person. Um, I grew up in the church and, and continue to be involved in faith. And I think it's just one of those things that uh, was the right thing for me at the time. So I think if I had advice to, my grade 12 friend, uh, Andrew McLean, it would be to probably spend less time looking for a girlfriend to try to be better at sports in any way possible. Cause I was a little fat kid. I wasn't very great at any form of athletic achievement. Try to be less awkward, but don't worry about the math, like the academic stuff will come.
1: Yeah. So some good advice, just don't sweat the small stuff and things will happen. That's a, that's a nice parting message. I think, Andrew, we're going to move on to, can we do like a rapid fire? So we're just going to like but run through a bunch of questions and then just one sentence answers. Okay.
2: Okay. It's hard to get an East coast person to go with one sentence answers, but okay.
1: We're cracking down on that. Okay. okay. So another fun fact that we read, you've moved 22 times since you were 18. What one city captured your heart? London
2: and the United Kingdom. Just awesome.
3: Andrew, are you a dog or a cat person?
2: Dog a hundred percent. Ouch. I'm
0: negative cat. Yeah.
3: Oh, gosh, guys, if I had known this, I don't think I could have done this episode. <laughs> I'm I'm glad we saved this for the end.
0: <laughs> Andrew, what's your Hogwarts house?
2: I don't know if I have a Hogwarts house. There's like a good one and a bad one and two in the middle ones, right?
0: Yeah, How that, that summarizes that. <laughs> All right.
2: I'm not a good one. I don't think I'm the bad one. I'm one of the ones in the middle, whatever those are.
1: All right. Hufflepuff. We'll give him a Hufflepuff. Hufflepuff.
2: I'll take a. Yeah, I see
3: some buff. Hufflepuff. I <laughs> I see some Ravenclaw in there too, and also some Gryffindor. Yeah, we'll we'll do a poll and see what others think you are. <laughs> Send you the link. Uh, Andrew, what are you grateful for?
2: Oh, so much. This is a hard one-sentence answer. Um, grateful for family. It's kind of a. It's it's just a recurring theme with me, but it's honestly the genuine feeling, like the. The kids that I have and the partner I have are exceptional and we're all healthy and uh, it's pretty hard to come across anything better than that.
1: Awesome. Uh, Andrew, what's your ideal day off?
2: I'd probably be working on something to be honest. I would be in the garage. Like I I do a fair amount of uh, like home, like do it yourself kind of home repair stuff. So I would be probably sweating and cursing and sawing. That would be a great day off.
3: It's amazing. I need to get tips from you on how to spackle a wall follow-up afterwards.
2: (laughs) Can do, yeah.
3: (laughs) Andrew, what is the most recent TV show that you've binge-watched?
2: My um, partner's really into Arrested Development, (laughs) and I tried several times to get into it and just could not, and so I decided with the advent of the pandemic and now that the world was ending, I better get to it. So I got through all three seasons, uh, and I can see it now. I can get there. It's really well-written. I really enjoyed it.
1: Nice. I love how people, you got to stick through it. When people give up on shows season one, you got to stick through Andrew, what is the best advice you've ever given?
2: Oh, man. Um, The best advice I've ever given, I tend to bust out quotes a lot. So they're not advice that I have inherently and then have given other people. But one of my favorite quotes is, the larger the island of knowledge, the greater the shoreline of wonder. And I think as you go through education and you get more and more involved in things, the more you realize you don't know. And I think it's a good attitude to be humble about what you don't know in life. I think it's rare that you get in trouble for admitting what you don't know. So I I have busted that one out lots to others. I don't know how useful it has been for them, but it's, it's advice that I carry with me anyway.
3: I love it. I got goosebumps. I I think I'm going to pull that one out from now on. All right, Andrew, final rapid fire question. What are one or a few books that everyone should read?
2: Uh, I just got finished Sapiens, which is really interesting. It's like the new Dear Diamond. Um, And I think that's one that it's also top of mind because I just read it. But it's one that I found pretty cool when you think about the history of humans. And it addresses some of the key questions of today. Uh, mainly around like climate change and um, wealth and equity and those sorts of things, which I think are important themes for anybody that's, that's growing up right now. Um, Complications by Atul Gawande was really good for a future med school read. I uh, really enjoyed that one. I've read so many books over the last few years from a lot of the CBC monk debates, uh, which I've really enjoyed. They're often sort of like pretty short snappers, like 150 pages long, but cover so many different topics. And I would say the book that was probably the most formative for me growing up was the biography of Martin Luther King Jr. Uh, I learned a lot about history and the United States and racism and how to get things changed and stay true to yourself at the same time.
1: I think uh, we'll ask Andrew for an anthology and the description for this episode because I feel like that's some great summer reading. Um, well, Andrew, we just wanted to say thank you for coming. This is a really amazing conversation. I think we learned a lot. And I just wanted to give you the chance, if there's anything else you'd like to share, some concluding thoughts uh, that you wanted to put out there.
2: I think my, my thing would be if I can help any medical student with future direction planning, it seems to be something that's really occupying for us and occupying for many people, even who aren't medical students. Like, where should I go? What's my direction look like? A lot of the times I find like information that is honest and direct can be really helpful in helping people walk through those different conversations and think about possible paths for them. And so if any of what I have learned over the last 10 years can be beneficial to anybody who has questions about what life could be like as a different type of doctor or has a connection, like I really want to talk to somebody who practices X or Y, I would be thrilled if I could make that happen. Because it's a stressful time to think about what you want to do for the rest of your life. And Lord knows I've thought about it. And I would love to, to help anybody I can with those kinds of questions for sure.
3: That's incredible. Um, If you're okay with it, Andrew, we'll link your contact information with your episode uh, so that anyone who wants to talk about your experiences can feel free to reach
2: out. Of course, that'd be great. I'd love it.
3: Awesome. Well, Andrew, thank you so, so much for spending a Wednesday evening with us. We've so enjoyed having your presence and hearing your thoughts. And yeah, just thank you so much for your time.
2: Thank you guys. And uh, good luck with the future episodes of the show.
0: That was very interesting to hear a different side of the Andrew I know from class. One story that he shared in particular really stands out to me. His overall upbringing in a village of 400 people in his hometown, Lawrence Town, a small farming community, and some of the contributions he made through his church, through the fire department. Really what I'm getting is lots of themes of community and leadership in his life narrative. And I'm really happy to see him bring these values into medicine.
1: Yeah, for sure, Mike. I think definitely his humble upbringing and his attitude is very inspirational. A big takeaway for me was kind of his MO, about what he kind of wants to achieve in his medicine career. And that was through him recognizing through his various meetings and like healthcare professional settings. He said, quote unquote, usually the doctors were the problem. And then he actually went and worked for the doctors and found out like, oh, maybe the doctors, it's not really their fault when you schedule a meeting in the middle of the day where they have clinic or they aren't really taught the kind of skills that you kind of need in this administrative environment to really succeed and have equal partnership at a table. So I think it's really noble that Andrew's recognized this as a gap in the current structure of the healthcare system. And I think apart from helping people and helping patients, I think this is something he wants to kind of integrate into his professional identity. I really look forward to see where Andrew takes this sort of initiative and this driving motivation later into his career.
0: I think he's identified a issue in medicine, and I'm inspired by the determination he has to address it, and particularly considering that he's faced some challenges to get into medical school in the first place. One of the challenges that Andrew shared was the MCAT. This was hard for him because his last exposure to science was grade 11 biology. He did a undergrad, he majored in economics, which is very fascinating, but this was difficult for his MCAT studying since he had to bring textbooks with him to hotel rooms and study while traveling. So I was really inspired to hear that since I had a really traditional application process where I just took a summer off to study and all of it was based on my science undergrad.
1: Yeah, I think it's a really important thing you highlight there, Mike, for a lot of people, there's different barriers or difficulties they have to overcome to achieve the kind of goal or dream of theirs that is medicine and for Andrew taking a full year to study for the MCAT and having the determination to do that was definitely a very inspirational part of his story brings me to the fact check, which he was pretty good, not introducing many different terms, but he did use the word uh, McMaster's Methuselah. uh, And I think it was a nod to him being one of the oldest people in the class. I had to actually look this up. It's a reference to the oldest living human. So I thought that was really interesting. And he also brings up a little bit about This distinction between pre-clerkship versus clerkship, whereas like pre-clerkship being the kind of more traditional classroom style of teaching in medicine and clerkship being the time in medicine where we kind of learn to apply what we've learned in the classroom and learn more practical on the job skills. And how some people's strengths may be in the classroom and some people's would be uh, actually in person while we're in the hospitals and how he's kind of in the stage of his career right now where in the classroom he's having to work maybe that much harder than someone else. But when we go and we're applying ourselves in the hospital, he has that kind of experience at work and interpersonal professional experience that will help him kind of thrive in that healthcare setting. And I, I do believe he will thrive once we eventually get to clerkship. All right, so that brings us to the end of the fact check and this kind of conclusion. I once again want to thank Andrew for joining us for this interview and allowing us to shine a spotlight on his story. We also want to
0: thank our research director Priscilla, episode director Kathy, writing team Priscilla and Michael, production both recording and editing Priscilla, host Kathy, and also Naaman for joining me as host for this interview. We also want to thank the rest of our ID podcast team. That would be Grinder, Umri. Isabella, Daniel,
1: and Lucy. And finally, we want to thank all of you for tuning in to another episode of the ID podcast where we discuss the stories of medicine and the people behind them. Stay safe, everyone.